We've been looking at doors, and um, today we're going to look at kind of a strange door, and it's the door of depression, because I'm convinced that when we find ourselves there, you, you kind of feel like a stranger. And the fact is, we, we all go through uh, these doors in our life where things get kind of messed up, and we, we deal with them differently in our lives. The fact is, for, for some, when they go through that door, they kind of lose their appetite. And other people tend to eat a lot during, during that time. Some people retreat into isolation in their life. And, and some people get involved in a fury of activities to try and deal with it. Some go on shopping sprees when they're depressed. Other people just watch TV. And uh, here's my question, and you need to answer it for yourself. What is your typical mode when when you're feeling kind of depressed what do you do to try and address that because what i have found as i've talked to people is that predominantly we do things that are really temporary fixes at best uh they don't really address what what's going on and i believe god has a better way for our life that the fact is god god understands where we're at and so before I go any further with the topic, I want to kind of clear up what we're talking about today because I think the word depression is kind of a loaded word. It's kind of like uh, love. You know, love can run the gamut from I love you to I love ice cream, you know. Uh, it, it runs pretty wide. And so what do you mean when you say love? Well, I think that the word depression has that kind of meaning for many. And so what I want to do is explain what I mean when I'm using the word in, in this message. You know, I'm talking about when life kind of wears you down, when things kind of stack up and, and pile up in your life and you get discouraged in, in your spirit that you kind of get weighed down with, with just life in general. The, the kind of depression that I'm talking about is something that you experience in your life when you realize, for instance, your, your dreams. Some of them have passed you by. It's when you come face to face with a reality or a harsh truth in your life, a, a loss, a failure, uh, maybe a missed opportunity, in other words, situation-based depression. What I'm not talking about is clinical depression. Clinical depression is a whole other topic. Uh, that's a medical condition. It's not a spiritual condition. And clinical depression requires uh, therapy, medication, and those type of things. And what I want to make sure of is that if you suffer from clinical depression, that you don't get this confused with what I'm talking about today, that I believe there's some things that you can learn. I believe that there's some things that you can put into practice in your life, but the reality is you're going to need more. You're going to need more than what we're, we're talking about. And so um, I'm just kind of saying this, that if after we kind of talk, talk through this, you think, you know, I don't know if that's the kind of depression I'm dealing with. You ought, to, you ought to talk to a doctor. Uh, if you're seeing a therapist, continue doing that. But for, for those of us that have someone that suffers from clinical depression, I need you to promise something. Because I, I've spoke on this topic many times, and what I figured out over the years is that some of you 
will rush out of here. And you're going to go, because you have someone that you love a lot that suffers from clinical depression, you're going to rush home, uh, you're going to pick up the phone, you're going to meet a friend or whatever, and you're going to take the notes from today's message. And you're going to go, you know what Damon said? Damon said, if you'll just do this stuff, you'll get all better. And what I want to tell you is don't do that. Because what you're going to do is kind of spin them out. You're going to take them a little bit deeper into depression. Because it really does require uh, therapy and medical uh, attention with that. So are we on the same page? We understand what we're talking about when we're talking about depression and what we're not talking about. And so, again, we're talking about depression that's brought on by an event, by a situation, by a circumstance in our lives. And so God, God has a better way for us to deal with this, a better way than like eating a box of Twinkies or Fritos, a uh, better way than maxing out the Visa card at the mall or hanging out with a couple buddies like Jack Daniels and Captain Morgan. Um, <laughs> something like that, isn't it? <laughs> Only at Faith Fellowship. Yeah. God has a better way than jumping from like bed to bed, because that's all superficial stuff. It's all momentary. And I would argue that it doesn't fix. It doesn't work. And so there's a lot of things we can do. If you go online, just some things that real quick you can do. Uh, I think it's good advice. And that is eat right. You know, get plenty of rest. Exercise regularly. Make a list of like uh, a lot of free activities that kind of get you out of your routine in life. Uh, spend time with people that energize you and that care about you and love you for who you are. You know, stuff like that. That's good stuff. Uh, there's advice about things not to do. Um, anybody knows if they've ever talked to me about, they're, they're saying, you know, I'm really down about something. I'll tell them, don't eat too much. Uh, Cut the, cut the sugars out and the carbs and the caffeine because it's just going to heighten things. You know, don't spend money that you don't have. It's just going to make it worse. And don't have unrealistic expectations of the people around you or of yourself. And don't dwell in the past. You know, coulda, woulda, shoulda kind of thing. And understand, those are good things to start with, but it doesn't go far enough. And what I want to do is take us a little bit further with this and look at kind of a holistic way to get a handle on depression. And what we're going to do is look at a story in the Old Testament. It's about a woman by the name of Hannah. Hannah struggled with depression. And I think a piece of it, and I'm not going to spend much time explaining it, but she was one of two wives. Now, that would be depressing in and of itself, but uh, she, she's married to a guy by the name of Alkaah. And the other wife's name is Prenina. And we're going to call her Pin, because that's a lot easier for me to say, for one. And I figured she had a nickname anyway. But in that day... And in that culture, there was kind of a setup. And it, and it wasn't right, but Penn had several children, and Hannah had none. And in that day, that was seen as a failure. You were considered not very worth anything if you didn't have children. Again, 
Not right, but it was the way it was in that day. And so every year, Elkanah would, would take his family. He would take Hannah and Penn and all the kids, and they would go to town. They would go to Shiloh, and they would make a sacrifice at the temple. And Scripture says that during this time, that it was a time of worship, a time of sacrifice, that they would celebrate. It was a time for family to come together. Uh, it was kind of a precursor to, to Christmas. If you think about our Christmas holiday, that's what it was. It was time of giving gifts. Uh, and so Penn had all of her family around her, all of her kids around her. And Hannah didn't have any. And if that wasn't painful enough to remind her that she didn't have children... Well, Penn made matters worse by kind of mocking her, making fun of her because she didn't have children. And the fact is that Hannah's pain drove her to depression. In fact, Scripture says she was unable to eat because she cried so much. And the Bible says it was the same thing every year, same thing, same stuff that she went through. And I think, you know, the same thing could be said for us. You know, how, how many of us have the same old pain, the same old frustration and hurt and heartache, you know, the same loneliness in, in our life, the same stress and obstacles, uh, financial issues, losses or whatever. This stuff just kind of weighs you down. It, it stacks up. And if you dwell on it too long, it's easy to kind of drift into depression in your life. And I think from Hannah's story, we can learn some things because she did some things to kind of deal with the depression in her life. The fact is, I, I'm not going to give you a, a simple equation here, but I want to give you some things that I believe you can do, and they're not necessarily in a linear fashion, and I know that's kind of how we think as well. I'll do this, this, and this, and this. Fact is, you may have to approach them differently. You may need to visit and revisit some of the things we're talking about in order to deal with that, that thing called depression in your life. And so if you're going to deal with depression, the, the first door that we've got to go through in our lives is you've got to acknowledge how you feel. You gotta, you gotta own it. It means you gotta stop and, and you, you gotta begin to deal with your feelings. You gotta quit running from them. You gotta quit denying that they exist. You know, our tendency, I think, is to kind of go, I shouldn't feel this way. You ever heard that? You shouldn't feel that way. Well, Proverbs 15, 13 says, with a heartache comes depression. God's Word says that. It says when your heart aches, expect depression in your life. Depression comes. It's automatic. It doesn't matter what caused it. Expect the response to heartache to be a thing called depression. See, I don't think anybody wakes up one morning and they go, you know what? I think I'm going to get depressed. Hmm. I'm going to see how low I can get. That's not how it happens. The fact is, the heart hurts, and we get depressed. I mean, what do you do when those feelings well up inside you, when those feelings come in your life? What do you do? I mean, the fact is, 
you got to be honest about what you feel. You can't ignore it. You can't excuse it. You can't feel guilty about it. You can't deny it. You've got to walk through the door and admit how you feel. You need to own that. You know, Hannah, there are two verses that really stand out that kind of explain her depression. First Samuel uh, chapter 1 tells the story. Verse 7, it says, she cried so much she couldn't eat. You ever been there? And then in verse 10 it says, she was in deep anguish and cried bitterly. Hannah was feeling awful. She was carrying all this pain, all this heartache in her life. And so what did she do with it? Well, I think she did the right thing. She owned it. In fact, verse 15, she says, I'm depressed. I think a more accurate uh, translation. One of, one of them translates it, I'm desperately unhappy and in such pain. You know, the first door, if you're going to find healing in your life, is you've got to acknowledge how you feel. Another door that we've got to go through is you've got to find a safe place. You know, I don't know what that safe place is in your life, but you've got you to find it. You've got to find that safe environment, that safe relationship. And Hannah, she'd been going to the tabernacle regularly, year in, year out. She goes to Shiloh. And right in the middle of her pain, right in the middle of her depression, Hannah knew that the tabernacle was a safe place. You know, she knew that Eli would be there. He was there every year. She knew that she could be honest, that she could be the person that she was, that she could admit how she felt, and no one was going to think less of her because of it. And here's my question. Do you know what that safe place is in your life? Do you know who that is? Scripture says, verse 9, says, Hannah went to the tabernacle. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance. Where is it that you can admit how you feel? Is there someone that you can tell what's going on in your life, what, what your struggles are, what your heartache is? Is there someone that you know you can be around and you can just be you? Because it's important that you have that kind of place you know, Psalms 26.12 says, I stand in a safe place, Lord. I praise you in the great meeting. That's a meeting like this. I praise you in that great meeting. Stand. Now, I'll be honest with you. Standing takes a lot more energy than like sitting down or laying down. And to be honest, most of us, when we're in the dumps when we feel like life has beat us up, the last thing you want to do is stand. We usually want to curl up on the couch or curl up in bed because we don't feel like we've got that energy to to stand. And when you're in a safe place, though, when you're in that safe environment where you can be real, where you can be honest, where, where you can admit how you feel, some reason you can find the strength, you can find the strength to, to stand. 
Even when everything's trying to knock you down, trying to, trying to hold you under. You know, if you haven't discovered it, I think faith fellowship's a safe place. I think one of our driving principles, as we talked about as we were organizing, was we needed to be a church that said loud and clear, we will meet you where you are. You do not have to pretend to be something that you're not. We all foul up, we all make mistakes, and that this needs to be an environment where people feel safe, where they feel they can retreat from from the hurt and pain of the world, that they can just be who you are. You know, that safe place happens various places within Faith Fellowship. Sometimes it's in a, in a small group, a Bible study, or uh, one of the teams in, in the church, an accountability group. You may have a safe place with, with a counselor, or a therapist, or a support group of some sort. This worship service, I hope, is a safe place where you feel like, you know what, I can just come how I am. You need at least one safe place, and I would argue that ideally you need several safe places. Those of you that are in a small group, you hear me talk about getting a small group, getting a small group. You need to be in a small group because it's in that small group that you connect. And if you're in a small group, you know what I'm talking about. If you've been through some rough times and you're in a small group, you know how important that is. Some of you haven't taken that step. I'd encourage you, take that step. Because you need time to create a safe place. It's not going to happen day one. It takes time. It's laboring together. But someday, you'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you made that kind of investment. Regularly, I'll have people catch me. And they'll go, you know, you pushed me and pushed on me and pushed on me, and I did it. And I am so glad because this is what's going on in my life. You know, safe place. When you find that safe place, then you take another step through another door. And it kind of opens you up into the the next area of your life. Because at that point, you let someone know. Someone in that small group, you, you let them know what it is that you're going through, what you're feeling. You know, Galatians 6.2 says, share each other's troubles and problems. And so obey the Lord's commandment. This may be a revelation, but no one can help you. No one can come alongside you if you don't share. In other words, we need each other. And part of following God's commandments is that we shoulder one another's burdens. God did not create you to go through pain, to go through hurt, to go through depression alone. God didn't create you that way. I mean, you may think that you can go through that depression, but the reality is you might stay in your depression alone. You may sit in your depression, but you will not go through it because at some point life will rock you so hard. It will knock you to the ground that you're going to need somebody to come alongside you. And the only way someone can come alongside you is if you alert them to what you're going through. you got to share. That kind of vulnerability is critical, I believe, to healing. And a little heads up, when you do share, you need to know not everybody's going to tell you what you want to hear. 
Not everything you hear is going to pick you up. But I would also argue that sometimes just because you don't hear what you want to hear, you may hear what you need to hear at that point in your life. There are two people in Hannah's life that she let know what was going on. One was her husband. And her her husband in verse 8, he's talking to her and he says this, Hannah, why are you crying and why won't you eat? Why are you sad? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Now I've got to be honest, first time I read this, I, I kind of laughed. I thought, okay, this is... Because you can really read this passage a couple ways. One, it's like this. Hannah, it's okay. Get over it, and besides, you got me. <laughs> Half the husbands are going, well, that sounds pretty good to me. You know. <laughs> not good, guys, not good. But that's one way you could read that passage. The other way is, I, I mean, first of all, when I think about it, if someone says that to me, you know, it's okay. What do you want to do when someone goes, it's okay, don't worry about it? You know, I, I want to scream, it's not okay what I'm going through. This is hurting me. It, it's breaking me up. But I don't think that's what he was saying. I want to believe what he was saying to Hannah was, Honey, I love you. And I couldn't love you more. If you had ten children, I wouldn't love you more. And Hannah, I know that you want children. And I want children. But I don't know if that's ever going to happen. And if it doesn't, it's okay because we got each other. So, Hannah, could you, and I know this isn't going to be easy, but could you take for just a moment and look at what we got instead of what we don't have? That's how I want to believe he shared with her. And I think it is because as you read the rest of the story, it kind of plays out, but... You know, I have found it much easier in life to see what is missing in life than to look at what I've got, what I don't have, versus what I wish I had. I mean, I I think that's true in every aspect of life. If I had walked out on stage today and only had one shoe on, immediately you would have all said, he doesn't have his shoe on. I can't believe he doesn't have his shoe on. He's missing his shoe. But nobody thought when I walked out here, oh, he's got both his shoes on. Isn't that great? (laughs) Because why? Because it's much easier to see what we don't have, what we're missing. When when you're struggling with depression, the tendency is to to look at what you don't have. And I want to suggest to you that you need to look at what you do have. I mean, it may not be as much as someone else, but I guarantee you it's more than other people. You know, the other person that Hannah has that listens to her is Eli, the priest, the priest at the tabernacle. And Eli says this to her. Eli answers, cheer up. 
May the Lord of Israel grant you, you your petition, whatever it is. Now I want you to catch the word may is critical to this. You see, Eli's not making her a promise. He's not making her a commitment. He's simply encouraging her. He's coming alongside of her. You know, he's agreeing with her heart and asking God to give her a child. Eli, Eli promises Hannah only one thing. He says, God is with you. God is with you. God, God's going to be faithful. And God has the power to help in the midst of this. And I need that when, when I'm going through a downtime. I need encouragement. I need someone to pull alongside. I don't need someone to fix me or to fix the situation. I don't need someone to give me the, I call it the pie in the sky fairy tale. You know, act like, well, there really isn't a problem here. I don't need that. What I need is someone to know that they care about me and they care about what I care about in my life. That's what I need. And so, again, nothing can happen unless you let someone know how you feel. You know, I was with a small group the other night, and someone in the group's going through a tough time. And I watched that group just pull together. Because it was a safe place. It was an open place. It was a, a place where we could be honest with one another. And people were connecting and listening and accepting one another because you know why? Because we're on a journey together. And we want to see each other make it through that journey. But you need a safe place. You need a safe place and you need to let someone know. And here's the fourth thing, the fourth door that you got to go through. And that is... We've talked about this each time, focus on God. You've got to focus on God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Fix your attention on God, you'll be changed from the inside out. You know, in other words, I have an option I, I can fix my attention on God. I can decide. I, I can focus on God. And when I focus on God, I get my attention off myself. And something I figured out, you can't focus two places at the same time. True? And so when I fix my attention on God, Scripture says I'll start changing from the inside out. It makes a difference. How I feel is affected by the direction that I choose to face in life. How do you focus on God? Well, I, I think one of the ways is you invite God to be a part of whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever it is you're struggling with. And here's what Hannah did. Verse 10 says, she prayed to the Lord. That's how she focused to God. Now, what I want you to hear, do not hear like a simplistic answer. You know, that when you're depressed, pray. Because... When I'm hurting, when I'm down, when life has busted me, and someone says, well, you just need to pray and everything will be okay. All right, my BC nature kicks in, my before Christ nature. I want to slap them. Seriously, I do. I want to go, what, what are you talking about? My life's falling apart. Things aren't good. That's not what I'm talking about, just to uh, throw a prayer to heaven. 
What I'm talking about is going deep with those prayers, going to the next level. Hannah took it up a notch in her prayer life. Verse 15 says, I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. I mean, what happens when you pour your heart out? Well, when you pour your heart out, it leaves a space so that God can get in there. You're not holding anything back. You're throwing it all out there, admitting that you don't have all the answers for that pain, for that struggle. In fact, you may have no answers when you get right down to it. But guess what? God does. God has the answer for whatever it is we're going through. And so we need to focus our attention on God. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time that everything stacked up, it knocked you down, and you just opened up to God and said, here's what's in my heart. Here's what's happening. Because here's what I know. The God that I know, the God that I serve, the God that loves you and me, that God who knows you better than you know yourself, that created you, is big enough to love you, to take whatever garbage we want to throw his way, and to handle it. Hannah did that. Hannah, Hannah's prayer, she just pours her heart out to God. Listen to this, verse 11. O Lord of heaven, if you will look down upon my sorrow and answer my prayer. She's, she's going to get real specific. Answer my prayer and give me a son. Then I'll give him back to you. And he'll be yours for his entire life. Hmm. Hannah wasn't just asking God to fix the problem. Hannah wasn't just asking that God give her a son. Hannah wasn't just asking for God just to take the pain away. No, it's much greater than that. Hannah was saying, you know what, God? I want you to help me with my depression. But God, I'm going to fix my attention on you. I'm going to focus on you. And I want you to be a part of my life. And, I, and if, God, if you would be willing to put new life in me, I will invest that life and my life in you. She just kind of puts it all out there. She makes a commitment, I think, to God at that point to say, you know what, God, not only do I want you part of my life now, but I want you part of it in the future. And here's the fifth door and final door. She says, you know what, God, I believe. I believe you have the power to help me. Friends, when, when I believe God is going to help, when I embrace that reality and, it, and, I, and I take it on full face, that belief, friends, not only does it exist here, but it starts to play out in your actions, in your activities, how you live your life. Psalms 34, 5 says, those who look to the Lord for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their face. In other words, what I believe affects how I act. And how I act affects what I believe. You see, they feed each other. And that is going to show on my face. When, friends, when you embrace hope, some of you need hope today. When you embrace it, it changes everything. 
It, it affects how, how you feel. It affects how you function. And here's what happens next in the story. Verse 18, it says, Hannah went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. What? How did, how did that happen? I mean, so, so what changed for her? She's still not pregnant. What changed? Her actions. Her actions changed. And it reflected in her face because all of a sudden she let her actions move as though she trusted God's faithfulness. Now, I want to make sure you you get this because this is pivotal. It says, her face was no longer sad. What's, what's it saying? Well, I think you've got to understand what it's not saying. It doesn't say that her depression immediately left. It doesn't say all her pain was gone, that it was in the past. It doesn't say that she had the guarantee of a child. I mean, what happened in that moment? How could she go from crying so hard that she couldn't eat to eating? How could she go from having a sad face to no longer having a sad face? In fact, I would suggest maybe even a smile. I mean, how? How did that happen? Well, I think it's because of her time of worship. I think it's because of the counsel with Eli and talking, talking with her husband. I think it was because of her honesty with herself and with God, she came to realize something that she had always known. That God, the God who she poured her heart out to, is the same God that had been faithful to her people, and all of a sudden it clicked for her. You know, James 1.17 says that God does not change like the shifting shadows. That, that God, you, you, God is faithful. And when you trust God's faithfulness, see, all of a sudden your response can proceed the results. My response in life can proceed what the results are. Hannah rediscovered that God was faithful. Hannah, Hannah's actions uh, began to speak of that faithfulness and how she responded to what was making her sad. It changed because she understood. She understood that God was with her in that. So it's interesting. Hannah begins to change. She knows God's faithful. She doesn't know necessarily if she'll have a child. She doesn't know what's going to happen. She doesn't even know if things are going to change. But Hannah did know that things were going to be different because God was faithful and God would pull up alongside of her. First John says, God is faithful. And reliable. It means he's in the midst of whatever it is we're going through. And so when Hannah left the tabernacle, the only thing that she knew for sure was that she had God and that God was all that she needed. And she held tight to that. Now, 
I don't know what it is, what that one thing is. You know, what it is that makes your heart ache. You know, what it is that's missing in your life that that you want God to help you with. But I can tell you that God will move and God works. Now, if you're wondering how the story turns out, verse 19, it says, The Lord remembered her petition. And in the process of time, a baby boy was born to her. That was the prophet Samuel. She honored God with her life and her son's life. And friends, you know what I've found in life? It's always in the process of time where I discover God's faithfulness. You know, sometimes God has given me what it is that I've asked for, that I've longed for. And other times God said, you know what, Damon? It's not what's best for you. So it always hasn't always turned out the way that I had intended. But I'll tell you what, when you get on the other side, you realize God has a better, better way. God's always faithful. He never leaves us alone. Because in God, friends, you, you find hope. You find peace in, in the midst of the storm. Again, I don't know what that one thing is, what it is you're longing for. But here's what I know. If you give it to God, God fills that space. God fills that space. Some of you, you know, you haven't come to a point in your life where I'd invite you just to come to a point where in the process of time that you just take a step. I mean, it's not complicated. You just say, you know what, God, I don't understand everything about life. It is just knocking me down and knocking me out. I, I don't even understand everything about you. But I know I want you part of my struggles. I know I want you part of my pain and my depression. And God, I want to live my life whatever way you'd have me live it. I was standing out on the um, property this week. And... Um, preached my first sermon, had a ground squirrel come forward, and it was really cool. But uh, Now, I, I, was stand, I was standing out there, and it just hit me how faithful God is. You know, I was thinking about, there were a lot of dark days that led us to this. And I think, oh, God, God understands it all. God gets it all. I want to give you the message in one sentence, and I know you're going, well, you could have told us that 30 minutes ago, you know, but in the midst of depression, Hannah turns to God for help, which teaches me this, I have a choice when it comes to depression. I have a choice. It's a decision. It's a defining moment that you have to make. Find that place, share, ask God to be a part of it. And what I know is in the process of time, God will see us through whatever it is we're going through. Let's bow in a word of prayer. God, I know there are 
those here today that um, they're just bringing a lot of stuff, a lot of garbage, a lot of stuff that's weighing them down, that's trying to take them out. God, I pray that uh, in the midst of those dark days, in the midst of that heartache, that pain, that suffering, whatever it is, God, you'd help us to find that place, that refuge. God, that you'd pull brothers and sisters alongside us. And God, breathe hope, breathe hope in us. You are the creator and recreator of all things. God, I pray that you would just use those dark days. We'd look back and say, I'm a stronger, better person today because of them. God, we give you the glory. We seek help in the midst of this life. It's in Christ's holy name we pray.